Welcome to Wonder Tour with Derek Cobb and Drew Perot. Hi, I'm Derek. And I'm Drew. And we are on a journey to become better leaders by touring fantastic worlds and inspiring lore by going on a wonder tour. We connect leadership concepts to story context because it sticks to our brain better. You can find out more at wondertourpodcast.com. All right, Derek, it's time to enter the micromanager wonder dome that is Michael Scott's office. shark let me fix your fin for you and sharpen your teeth while i'm at it (laughs) welcome back to wonder tour um we are going to be looking through uh prince family paper uh episode in the office and um i think i've lost track of what what uh what season what episode that is is it five it's definitely season five it's in the mid episode the season five okay good deal good deal yeah and and so yeah, if you want the details, you can look it up on a wiki because that's what we did. <laughs> um, this is a great episode of, and again, you know, these uh, these ones where we're going through, uh, you know, kind of these funny shows or whatever. Um, there's there's a lot of interesting little tidbits there. But as Drew mentioned last week when we were doing Lord of the Rings, which is a massive epic, you know, saga, um, we kind of have to do you know, read into it a little bit you know, we get these little episodes. So it's fun. It's a good challenge. It is a good challenge. And I think it matches up well with the huge epics that we kind of ping pong around between doing these Star Wars, Marvel, Lord of the Rings. And then we could come over and do some Parks and Rec in the office and some some lightweight stuff where, like you said, we have to read into it more, but that allows for more creativity. I think all of those things belong on the Wonder Tour. And we're just kind of scratching the tip of the iceberg and trying to figure out how that's all going to work. But we appreciate everybody who's on the tour with us. 100% baby. Um, let's see here. Okay. So let's jump into this. Um, you are the, I, the, the famed great storyteller. So I really like how you kind of set the stage. So let's jump into it and set the stage for this. All right. Well, we're going to go even more narrow within this episode of Prince Family Paper. And I think from a business, personal, magnanimous leader perspective, we want to talk about the journey that Michael and Dwight go on to this little family run mom and pop shop paper company called Prince Family Paper. So, Michael, this I think the setup, as I recall it, is that David Wallace as Michael going over to find out some information about this mom and pop shop, Prince Family Paper. So Michael's bringing Dwight along with him. They want to just get a little bit of information about this, scope out the competition in this area where maybe they're not doing too much business right now. So he and Dwight go over in the car together. Of course, they're having some, some classic Michael and Dwight antics in the car. Then they get there, 
and they're they're doing the setup in the car now. They're just sitting out in the parking lot. There's like no other cars in the parking lot. They're looking in through the window with binoculars. Dwight is, and they're doing this setup. And Michael, of course, uh, is is hyping himself up for it. They're they're having a good time. I want to start out with the the food chain, Derek. Michael says, in nature, there's something called a food chain. It's where the shark eats a little shark, and the little shark eats a littler shark, and so on and so on, until you get down to the single-cell shark. So now replace sharks with paper companies, and that's all you need to know about business. <laughs> Derek, is that it? Can we can we trust Michael on that? Is that all that we need to know about business? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean... I love the simplistic model. It's like a child telling you about something really complicated when Michael talks. And I do, I, I really did enjoy it when he ended up at the punchline of the single cell shark. <laughs> I just thought, how perfect. Um, these two, they're always winding each other up, right? I mean, it's, you know, they're inseparable for that reason. Uh, Michael lives purely in his imagination. They were talking about the daughter of the paper company salesman or the, sorry, the paper company owner. And he's like, oh, but he has a beautiful daughter or whatever. And, and he, you know, immediately Michael's like, you know, I'm going to romance her or whatever and, and whisk her away, you know? And uh, so these guys, they, they have, they are leaning heavy on imagination um, big time. Right. Um, and that's, that's always a recipe for success. Isn't it Drew? <laughs> yeah, I love how they lean on their imagination. It happens in every episode pretty much, and it's it's so much fun. I do. I enjoy that aspect of it. I think leaning on the imagination is a really good a good part of it. Obviously, there needs to be a understanding of reality. And since we're talking about game theory in this current kind of series that we're on, we did it with starting with Doctor Strange and into Fellowship of the Ring. Now we're going to continue talking about it a little more here with The Office. I think it's relevant to bring up something that we've talked about before, like understanding the rules of the game. It's kind of clear that Michael simplifies the game way too much. Most of the time he like simplifies it to an extent that like it's not possible to even like outline the rules of the game anymore. In this scenario, you know, he like it's perfect, right? He says to now replace sharks with paper companies and that's all you need to know about business. <laughs> It's like he's like it's just a dog eat dog world out there, and that's business for right. you. Like that's the game. Yeah, and take your heart and your morals out of it, and and everything else that you care about. Because David Wallace asked me to do something, so I'm gonna do it, right? Without any thought of any kind of a uh, uh, you know consequence, right? And you're right. He he really he really does strip all the things away, and I think that's. It's, isn't that the classic mistake he makes here? It's just kind of making it one goal and one rule. One rule is, it seems like to me, don't get caught. <laughs> is that one rule? I mean, that, that's something that he tip around, tiptoe around the entire time. He and does, we're, of course, right. We're, we're entertained by that, right? We're entertained by the fact that they're tiptoeing around. Um, I mean, these people aren't cr crazy in, in this paper company. Like, they know that these guys are up to something, you know, but they're just so nice that they don't care. Isn't that what it is? Oh yeah. They're like a, they're like an absolutely terrible version of like Tom Cruise. 
going in like as spies to to steal some information right <laughs> but they're just like bumbling around knocking things over tripping all the lasers but the, the number one rule is like just don't go to jail please don't go to jail basically they oversimplify <laughs> the game and we did we talked about that like that's a mistake that you make is oversimplifying the game and michael makes that all the time and that he he oversimplifies the game and then he plays his oversimplified game and then he has to backtrack after he hurts people's feelings or you know he basically like he takes a game that's many dimensional or or definitely multi-dimensional and he tries to simplify it to like a one-dimensional game where he's just like oh like there's just one move to make really <laughs> yeah I mean, he doesn't look very far ahead i think that's the key here too is that you know when you're t- when you're thinking like michael uh this is good i like this um when you're thinking like michael you know he really does think i just need to destroy prince family paper right i mean that's that's really what his goal was going in there well and and i gotta impress wallace right um which are i would say a kind of a slash goal you know it's like you you basically can lump those into one goal and then his heart gets the better of him uh later but not not until not until he was basically handed uh i'll make another michael reference here the golden ticket (laughs) which is the client list right at the end of the conversation um but i want i know you want to talk through the mechanics of what he said so why don't we hit on that and then we can talk about what dwight did which is just utterly ridiculous (laughs) yeah it's, it's it's interesting how when Michael gets caught up in these situations, he tends to back himself into a corner. As humans, we hate to be back in, backed into a corner. It's really unfortunate, but oftentimes we are the ones who back ourselves into the corner, admittedly. <laughs> and so how does Michael back himself into a corner here? He gets inside. He's doing all this kind of terrible reconnaissance work. And he ends up backing himself into the corner when he's sitting there talking to the the guy who owns the paper company, the the dad of the Prince family. And he's telling him, like, so you would put, like, this paper and this paper on the same truck? He's like, well, you sure know a lot about paper. Michael's like, oh, uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a classic moment where you're like, you know something. And I got to say, a magnanimous leader would keep it to himself or herself. because they realized that that would be giving information over to the the competition or whatever that may be. And it's not that it's not that you're trying to be deceptive. It's just that you are you're saying less. You're saying less and it's not about your pride. But in this case, Michael couldn't stop his pride and being he wants to be able to provide evidence that he's valuable. If you notice that in every every episode, you know, especially when management's involved, he's always providing. And I, I mean, I can identify with that sometimes where I'm like, I could do that. Yeah. I, I, did you know I could do that? Uh, oh, whoops. You know, and that is not like the best choice to make sometimes, is it, Drew? No, you do not want to back yourself into a corner like that. I can think of. Well, let's let's talk about an example of how maybe I've backed myself into a corner many times. 
in different different areas in my life. And then we can talk about how do you not back yourself into a corner. And this is still like I want to keep framing this up as if we're playing a game because there's a lot of different games that you're playing. And that's that's the idea of game theory is that life is a bunch of games. Reality is a bunch of games that are being played and you're trying to kind of understand the rules of them and the potential moves that you can make and the outcomes that might happen. So one way that you could back yourself into the corner is providing too much information, like you were just saying. So I do this and I've done this a handful of times, like you were saying, maybe with your management team or something, you provide too much information and suddenly now you're the person who has that information and you're the person who gets assigned another project. when You don't have time to do another project right now, <laughs> but you, it wasn't even like the purpose of you being in this, this meeting with that, with, you know, these people was not to get assigned another project, but you volunteered too much information. And so now you've been signed up to do another project. Oh, it's terrible when that happens. And then you're like, why did I, you know, and you know, you think back and, and I, and yeah, I think that's, that's, it is a very big challenge to decide. It's almost like you got to decide ahead of time. I think that is some of the key here is if you know the context of the discussion that you may want to prime yourself up ahead of time and just say, I'm only going to say this much about it um, because you don't want to clam up. That's the opposite side, right? Where you, you basically just sit in there and listen and you're like, well, good luck. Uh, I hope it all works out for you, you know, because what kind of perception do people then have of you after that if you just clam up? Well, that's not that's not what you want to do either. You don't want to be the person sitting in the room who has key information or context that can be provided towards a problem solve, you know, solving a problem or coming towards a solution and doesn't provide it. So that's as we grow as leaders, one of the most challenging things to figure out. I mean, you can think about this in everyday life. You, unfortunately, if you're just walking down the street and there's all kinds of people that could potentially use your help, you you don't have the resources to help every single person as you go. So you can't volunteer your day or your wallet or whatever for every single person who needs help along the way on that street. But at the same time, you could decide because of that you could decide well i'm going to help nobody well that's not magnanimous at all either so you have to figure out how are you going to position yourself to make the most impact yeah it's about you, you have to have discernment and um well let's get back to michael because he's sitting there at the desk and he's you know he's talking about all the things um and he he's not doing very good with his persona that he's that he's made up um at one point like yeah yeah michael scarn um yeah because it's the only thing he could think up his it's his it's his ultimate persona which is it's better than date mike it's it's better than um oh i don't know i'm trying to think of a couple of other ones that aren't too extreme uh because he makes up some pretty crazy ones but you get the point like you know, basically he's, it, it, this is like his secret agent, you know, I mean, he literally tapped into the best persona for this mission um, because, you know, he didn't want to make any mistakes like that. <laughs> that is his logic, right? He's like, well, I've just got to tap into Michael Scarn here. And he really is switching context mentally to that set of rules, which is think about a spy, you know, spy rules, right? Spirals are accomplish the mission at all costs, 
do not divulge your true identity. Um, you know, uh, what do I say? You know, I, I mean, in Michael terms, I would say be slick, be uh, clever. Uh, of course, this is Michael, so he's over clever, which is revealing what your what your motivations are, right? Because you're over clever. And um, I don't know what else am I missing here <clears throat> about the uh, about the Michael Scar? Because I think this is kind of fun to see what his mental state was, you know, kind of in this situation. Well, he's playful, number one, and I don't, you know, we don't want to just tear the guy down. That's not what the Wonder Tour is about. Being playful in this situation, and that, this is something that happens in the office, is is great. Like you said, you don't want to become overly committed to the role to the point where he things are like falling apart, you know, and to go back to Inception, like the dream is, you know, the subconscious is starting to tear you apart and, and you're like just continuing to not make any changes as a result. You're just like, no, just I'm committed to the role. It's OK. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Michael's always kind of falling in and out of these roles as he goes over committing uh definitely never under committing to the role we'll say that i, don't, I can't think of a single example where he undercommits to the role but <laughs> he, that's so I, true I, it's improv you know i mean he's he's really in his improv mode right so he's always you know yeah he's he's definitely into the role and he he plays it plays it out um anyway, well, he's he, overcommitted and it hurts him because yeah. once he gets so committed to the Michael Scarn that he doesn't realize what damage he's going to do to Prince Family Paper. So maybe it's time we talk about the idea of a zero-sum game. So this is kind of one of the simpler game theory models. Uh, maybe one of the first ones that some people would be introduced to. A zero-sum game is a, a win-loss game where if one party wins, the other party has to lose, basically. So... You know, a zero-sum game is a type of finite game where at the end a winner and loser is determined and one person is tallied a win and one person is tallied a loss in one way or another. You can think about a zero-sum game in terms of like sports games. Most sports games are zero-sum games, right? At the end of a football game, unless it's a weird circumstance where you're going to have a tie, there's going to be... You know, all all this effort from all these players goes into it. But at the end, one team's going to get one win in the in the win column and the other team's going to get a loss. That's it. The whole it doesn't matter how much effort you put in. It doesn't matter if you caught an 80 yard touchdown. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. All that matters is you're going to get one win and one loss. And you can extrapolate that out to an entire season of football, too. All of those other wins all get rolled up into, you know, you could be you can go 18 and one, but if that one game is the Super Bowl, then that whole season is a zero for you. Basically, it's rolled up into the zero sum game of, well, actually, somebody else won and we lost. and We did not get the championship. Yeah, and there's there's dangers to thinking like that all the time, isn't there? Oh, certainly the zero sum game. Th this is what I want to talk about today is what happens when we assume we're in a zero sum game. But we're not because that's I've been in plenty of situations in life, in relationships, as well as in business where somebody in the room, one of the players of the game is operating like it's a zero sum game where somebody's going to win and other people are going to lose. And you play the game a whole lot different if you think it's a zero sum game versus if you think there are potentially win-win scenarios that we can come to in this game. 
And so I think we want to kind of set aside a uh, a little marker here and say that in business, in personal life, et cetera, you, you have to know what game you're playing. So I want to go back over that, Drew, because I thought that was a good, you know, good thing that you kind of uncovered there. You, you don't want to miss uh, characterize the game. Um, if you do, then it, it's going to change the rules that you apply. And I, ha- I have done this before, for sure, is that I didn't even realize what type of game was being played here. I had I didn't catch on fast enough. Um, I, I didn't apply the right rules and the right wisdom to the situation uh, or tap into the right wisdom. I didn't use the right discernment. Um, so, yeah, I think that's something really good right there. I mean, Michael clearly, you know, thought this was a winner take all. And I think the motivation for that came from David Wallace. You know, he's just like, you know, I mean, how many times does he get a call from David Wallace? It seems like it's all the time, but really it's not, you know, especially when David Wallace, you know, I forget what episode I was watching, but it was like, you know, he had him come up to New York. Um, it might be the dual uh, episode, but, uh, you know, he comes up to New York and he's like, Michael, what are you doing right? And and it's just like it just blows Michael's mind. He's like, wow, I'm valuable. I'm valuable. I'm just going to say all the things that come into my mind. <laughs> and and he just like forgets the game at all. Like he, he doesn't even remember what game he's in because he's just like, wait, but that's it. That's it. I'm valuable. I, you know, he, he loves me, you know, and um, I, I have been there, you know, where you think, you know, oh, wow, I've got this approval that I always wanted, you know, and then you just kind of like go off the rails uh, with your thinking and you forget what game you're in. So you got to remember what game you're in. That's the key here. Um, what about Dwight, Drew? What kind of game does Drew, uh, Dwight think he's in? Oh, Dwight, I mean, Dwight totally buys into the shark game. He's he's playing a shark the whole time. I mean, I don't remember if he starts the shark uh, or if Michael starts up the sharking, but Dwight, he's coming in here and he doesn't, you know, he's coming into this school of fish and this school of fish doesn't even know what game they're playing right now, right? This This is an unsuspecting school of fish and this shark is just like, you know, now we're playing the predator and prey game. And so he's casting a game onto somebody else who doesn't even know what type of game they're in. And he's not revealing any of the rules to them, right? He's just kind of like coming in, playing this game. Whereas Michael's kind of trying to play their game. Um, He's still playing a little bit of like the paper salesman game, stuff like that. Dwight's coming in and he's just totally playing this, this predator and prey game. And they have Prince Family Paper has no idea. We talked about the predator and prey model last week. This is exactly a predator and prey model, but what happens when you don't perfect? This is another one, right? What what happens when you don't realize you're in a predator and prey model? Then you just offer yourself up to the predator. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, exactly. That, that's that's perfect. Yeah, there's all this uh, naivete going on, you know, where they're just totally, you know, they. I mean, Dwight is pushing forward with this. Uh, you know, I'm going to get a job and I, it is hilarious to me, you know, obviously it's a, supposed to be a funny show, but like, you know, they just entertain the fact that he, they're, they're so nice and so naive that they just entertain the fact that Drew, or that true, that Dwight wants the job that doesn't exist. He's like, I'm your son now. <laughs> you can see him on holidays. Um, that was like one of my favorite quotes. Uh, Cause it's like, <clears throat> it's so aggressive, you know? And I mean, it's so characteristic Dwight, but, you know, 
I think you're, you know, you're spot on with that. Like he basically plays predator prey inside of a zero sum. And, and I want to say that I, with Dwight, I mean, this is one of his <laughs> failures. We all know it, but it makes him, he's so black and white. He is so zero sum almost all the time. Right. Uh, I'll give you an example from the episode where he did the, the fire drill, you know, like hilarious episode. Cats are falling from the ceiling. Stanley's getting a heart attack, all these different things. Right. Uh, but but Dwight, you know, he saw two outcomes, one where everybody uh, suffocates from smoke and, you know, dies. Right. And then the other one is everyone perfectly handles the fire drill like he literally is a zero sum game all the time 24 7 365 which is why he's so extreme in everything that he does um and you know all his little german rhymes and different things that he recants you know something like you know you are gonna get eaten up you know um it's either like you get eaten up or you do the right thing uh you know and so it, it's just it, it constantly feeds into it and that's i mean it's no surprise right how he handles the situation Right now he grows up with the 40 rules or whatever that every shrewd boy has to know by age five. I mean, that's going to make everything black and white for you. That's a good call out there for Dwight. So let's talk about what it means that when he plays this zero sum game, I mean, they both play it, but we could just talk about how Dwight plays it too. So they, they go in and they're playing this zero sum game, but there are consequences that Dwight and Michael don't seem to recognize from the game. So I think we can talk about now the inseparable goods strategy. And we found this at plato.stanford.edu for reference. This is really interesting. The inseparable goods strategy basically espouses that within the game, there are potentially negative side effects that you can succumb to based on I guess, kind of the consequences of the morality of your decisions. So in a zero-sum game, the assumption is that both sides, it benefits them to take the opposite position to the other side, right? They actually, you want to be combative in a zero-sum game generally, because that's how you're going to win. You need to actually go up against and fight the other side, you know. But what are the downsides in this scenario, right? Because if they if they take a full frontal assault against Prince Family Paper, then they would probably win. You know, Dunder Mifflin's a lot bigger. They have a lot more resources. But what they do is they take kind of an infiltrator strategy and not only, you know, maybe maybe that does increase their win probability and decrease their resources that they're going to put into it. But Derek, is there a side effect of taking this strategy? Oh, yeah, 100%. <clears throat> you know, he's got, he's 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 feeling the the guilt, you know, after the fact. I mean, Part of, I think, why the guilt is so heavy on him, and you can correct me where you think, but, you know, it's because it was so easy. And when somebody doesn't even put up a fight, you know, when somebody doesn't even, well, in this case, they didn't even know they were in a game, you know, and I think that is what drove Michael. I mean, imagine if they were like, you know, hey, idiot, you know, whatever, and they kicked him out of the store. He would he would probably flip around on that and in his guilt. And I think this is interesting. So, you know, when, when someone uh, is aggressive with us, you know, I think we're more apt to lean into the zero sum game um, just out of innate 
humanness, <laughs> you know, humanity here. Um, am I wrong? I think more often than not, you're right. The question is, should we be? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. And, and you know, obviously here we're going to say uh, no, thank you. You know, you want to avoid those type of situations. It's almost like, hey, ever heard um, said, uh, you know, like you want to play a clean game here, guys. We don't have a clean fight. That's what it is. So in boxing, you want to have a clean fight. Um, is that kind of and, and what do we mean by that? I think we mean that we want to have a game where people know they're playing a game. That's number one. <laughs> Number two, we we want to have a game where we everybody knows the rules, right? I think that's a guilt-free game there. Um, nobody knew the rules, so Prince Family Paper did not know the rules. Prince Family Paper did not know they were playing a game, um, and and so this is why I assert that Michael has the guilt, and Dwight doesn't care. He wants to destroy all the competition um, openly and fervently he wants to destroy all the competition so he's not looking at it like that he's in his he's in his uh uh was that firebird or firebird or camaro anyway in his car right and he's listening to heavy metal music like that's where dwight's at with this situation <laughs> Wow, you know so we gotta so going going with michael yeah go ahead we got to think about how and as I guess I could give a quote here to bring, maybe bring more context to the inseparable good strategy, Plato maintains that if one commits an injustice, then one's soul will be consequentially be corrupted. That's that's really interesting there. <laughs> the way the way that we put that is a little bit like obtuse to wrap your head around potentially, but we could put that in wonder tour terms and to say that one's character could be corrupted potentially just to make it simpler, you know, maybe not necessarily exactly what is meant by the inseparable good strategy in Plato, but we could take it to mean that for our purposes. So for us, if we're magnanimous leaders and our belief is that we can do good for the world, we can help people, um, we can we can accomplish some purpose by becoming these type of leaders that that do things solely for the good of others, then and, and, and we do that by improving our character over time and our character improves by making selfless decisions, being a servant, et cetera, things that we've talked about on previous episodes, then it follows that just to win a single game, because there's a lot of different games that are going to be played over the course of our lives, just to win a single game, you know, you, we don't really want to take the low road because that has a longer term impact on your character. So like if you look at kind of the game, the results might be, okay, we get to swallow Prince Family Paper, but in the long run in this scenario, it, it might have a detrimental impact on your character. And we've talked before how you have thoughts and your thoughts impact your actions and your actions over time become your behavior and your behavior extrapolated over the long haul is becomes your character. So if we think that way, then each action is consequential. So even playing these smaller games within games within games that we're, we're a part of, we have to be careful that we don't take the low road because it's going to have an impact on our character. And that character is one of the main things that carries over from game to game to game. So for us, I think there's a big challenge there to figure out and the challenge is that for me, when we look at these smaller games that we're playing, like, you know, 
just Dunder Mifflin versus Prince Family Paper, how might we dig deeper than just the surface level to see the initial model of a game that's being played and be able to go all the way down and, and see the secondary and tertiary effects and how it's going to impact our character and the character of others. Because I, I actually, we don't necessarily see it here, but it doesn't just impact Michael and Dwight's character. It impacts it impacts the character of the Prince family as well. Yeah, I, I mean, right on with that. And I, I think it's, you know, I mean, if even if you get the sales, right, is it really going to be, is it really going to play out in the long term with bad character? Is that really where you want to be? You know, you have to think, yeah, you do have to think about, you know, how many games am I going to play like this? Um, I would rather lose. I would rather lose a, a, a few games. Um, and on the whole, I would rather win. And so you're going to have those ones where you cannot necessarily achieve a win-win. Um, but how would they how would they react differently in this scenario? One of the things I want to throw out to you as we're wrapping this one up is. um how could they have uh, won a little bit less? Like, what if they just siphoned 20 of the clients? Now, part of the moral dilemma here that I'd, I would say is that you've got a client sheet with all the clients. Is it, is it morally wrong in this episode? And I'm curious what you're thinking. Is it morally wrong to say, well, here's, here's 20 of the clients? Would a magnanimous leader say... Here's just a few of them. I'm curious because that's not really being truthful. No, I mean, think? it's a it's a slippery slope. And I think that there's a question that that gets asked in there. I don't remember if Michael or Dwight asked it, but he basically says, like, if we don't do it, then somebody else is going to. Right. And that's a way that you can convince yourself to do a lot of different things. It's basically say, like, well, if I don't take advantage of this, then somebody else is going to take advantage of it and I'm not going to be able to gain the rewards of it. And in game theory, you actually are playing game theory to your advantage there, but you're kind of playing to your selfish instincts to that you want to take advantage of each situation. So there's this idea of if we don't do it, then somebody else will. But I want to bring into example perhaps the greatest zero-sum game that, that ever gets played, which is war. Right, War is most often, especially war before the age of information, was a strictly a zero-sum game, right? One side wins, the other side loses, you know, whoever, the winning side dominates the other side, destroys all their means of production, um, you know, bring, brings them in as like a satrap or sets up a satrap over them or something like that, right? Like it's a, a complete domination. In that situation, you have choices to make of how are you going to engage with the other side? What rules are you going to play by? And I would argue that it is a very slippery slope to start to play with the rules of, you know, pulling apart humanity from the game, you know, pulling apart the fact that the people that you're fighting against are humans and that you shouldn't do things to them that you wouldn't feel comfortable with them doing to you. <laughs> there is a there is a bottom to to every game as far as the rules and you want to you definitely want to stay away from that as much as possible um well Derek because you redefine the problem is that when you do that you're slowly redefining the rules of the game and if you it, you know you're kind of 
steal an obvious analogy, you're, you're like defining the rules of the game in the sand and you're moving the rules of the game all the time. And if you continue to just like slowly but surely move the rules of the game, then what ends up happening is you end up playing a completely different game. And that game can have, you know, far reaching consequences for people that the original game did not. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's it's something to definitely take back in reflection today. I mean, that's that's a huge glacier of uh, of of, uh, of some thinking there that I would I, I I'm interested in kind of pursuing more in the future for sure. Um, well, there's no reason that for for us, we're not sitting here and trying to say, well, here's what you do in this situation. That's not what the Wonder Tour is all about. Right. What the Wonder Tour is about is here's some models for thinking. Here's some ways that we think about some problems in an episode of The Office or in our own lives. And then from there, right, we're just trying to become more wise together. <laughs> and that way we can handle things as they come and hopefully make a better decision than we made the last time. Yeah, I think what I would do here is is really it, it, let's say we reframed and we're not trying to make a funny show, but like you actually had to go investigate Prince family paper. <laughs> I don't know. Part of me would be like, um, I'm going to be less aggressive, you know, in my investigation of this place. Um, kind of let it, you know, kind of whimper out a little bit. You start to see, uh, you know, kind of the the moral issues, you know, as a magnanimous leader, you start to see the moral issues with the whole situation. And you're like, hmm, I, I need to drive this away from becoming a zero sum game. So. I think that's wouldn't in your opinion wouldn't that would uh, be what a magnanimous leader would do is try to drive it away from from starting the zero sum game. Um, you know, you, you don't necessarily have to start the game. You can drive it into a different game if you you know because you're playing a different game with your boss a little bit you know and you're you're trying to use you know uh, your discernment. So how how do that's how can a good you wrap it up? Yeah, let's try. To that's think a good that. call out. Yeah. And, and that's like a easy kind of simple takeaway for all of this complexity is we try to avoid zero sum games whenever it's possible, because, you know, it's always better to be in a kind of blue ocean type environment where you can increase the size of the pie versus eating somebody else's pie. Right. So that's the ideal way to play the game is if you can. Rather than having to ruin somebody else's is life, business, whatever, you can succeed by creating superior products or services that make it so that even more people use them. Well, that's awesome, you know, and obviously that's not always possible. And that's where the wisdom comes in. But avoiding thinking in zero sum games is kind of the starting point. Now, again, we want to be clear, though, I think that sometimes there are zero sum games. And maybe, like you said, you'll either have to choose to lose a zero-sum game or sometimes you need to win a zero-sum game as well. And that is that is the right magnanimous choice is to, to win the zero-sum game. But again, it starts out with understanding what the game is. And like you said, where you have the opportunity to as a leader, try to drive away from zero-sum games when your team is trying to make something into a zero-sum game or your boss, you know, what can you do to sit back and try to figure out like, OK, I don't actually know if this is a zero-sum game or I don't even believe that it is. How can we drive it away from that? And and you one last step is, you know, the, the sliding scale will turn a lot of things into zero-sum games. A, a prideful person will turn most things into a zero-sum game and so we can avoid that 
entirely, you know, if, it, if the game is not a zero-sum zero game, we can hopefully avoid turning it into a zero-sum game. I really like that, what you just said, because I think it, it really does have, it has to do 100% with how narrowly you look at, I mean, let's make a little technological analogy here as we're, I, I you know, as we're kind of trying to summarize, um, but, you know, AI, for example, you know, when people say, when you say AI and you're outside of AI today, you're like, oh my goodness, it knows everything about me, blah, blah. No, it's an algorithm. Right. And it has a very narrow view of the world. So in that case, uh, the, some of the best algorithms are literally zero sum games, you know, because they're like, I'm looking at all the variables here and I'm saying it's either a cat or a dog. Right. And I'm narrowing to two outcomes. And 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 that's they call that narrow AI. Right. But we we're humans. Right. We have a wider we have the capability to have a wider uh, a wider viewpoint. and. So I guess a little bit of growth mindset versus fixed mindset just to bring it in and, and kind of couple to game theory would be that, um, you know, don't let yourself drift into the laziness of, you know, may, you know, being zero sum. A lot of times that's just because it's convenient. Right. And I don't think any good leader is going to do something that's just convenient, um, you know, in, in any situation, because. You really have to be conscious of what's going on, right? And I, a magnanimous leader is conscious of what's going on, and is thinking about how, you know, more broadly uh, in the situation versus, oh, let's just find the first zero sum game we can find and let's just execute. Isn't that kind of what our typical gravity in a situation is, Drew? Yeah, it's most games that you play tend to turn out that way. At least you look at the sports games, kind of the popular games that are played. We like to have a resolute ending, so they end up being zero-sum games. People are more uncomfortable with the games that don't have a finite ending. And those games are harder to quantify. They're harder to wrap your head around the rules of and things like that. So we gravitate away from the uncertain rules of the, the infinite games. But those are actually the ones that provide the most sustainability. Those type of games where... You know, there can be larger and smaller wins for different players in the game over time are the ones that allow for growth. Yeah, I like that. So um, good stuff today as we're uh, wrapping up here. If you have any thoughts uh, about uh, today's discussion on this episode of The Office, uh, you can hit us up on The Wonder Tour on Twitter. And next week we are, um, I'll just let Drew do it. Next week, we're talking about The Office again. We're going to do Customer Survey, Season 5, Episode 6, I believe. We're going to be talking about William M. Butlicker. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering if you're going to say it. There you go. Um, yeah, it's a great name. Um, and uh, yeah, so, all right. Well, we will uh, we will look forward to, to having you uh, come to that next Wonder Tour. And until then... All those who wonder are not lost. See you next time.